Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are solely those of the individuals participating in the show and do not represent those of Tenderfoot TV and Resonate Recordings. All individuals described or mentioned in the podcast should be considered innocent until found guilty in a court of law. This podcast contains subject matter such as violence and graphic descriptions, which may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. I had this dream. I heard a knock on the door. And I opened the door, and there stands Brittany in this black t-shirt with her blue jean cut-off shorts and flip-flops. And I looked down, and I seen my dog, Nala. And I was just like, Brittany, you're here. And she said, I'm scared. I'm scared of this dog. And I said, why are you scared? That's Nala. I said, she's a great dog. You don't have to be scared. She looks at me, and Brittany had the prettiest blue eyes. And she looked at me, and she said, I'm okay, Sam. I'm okay. And she said, I have to go now. I was like, please don't leave. And she said, Sam, I gotta go. At first, I thought she was scared of my dog. But if she was scared of my dog, why was my dog sitting right beside her? Sitting there. I don't think that she was scared of my dog. As Jessica and I drive through Brown County, Ohio, going over the list of people we need to speak with and the avenues we need to explore, and I ask all my early, naive questions, and she educates me, I have a moment where I realize how unique of a position we're in here. Because while we are working on this together, at the same time, we're able to come at this from two different angles. I'm not from here. I come into this with no preconceived notions, no intimate knowledge, no nothing, really. I'm an outsider. The people here have been very welcoming, but I've seen the stairs. I get it. On the other hand, my producer Jessica is a local, an insider. She knows a lot about the case. She's been following it for years. 
and the locals don't tend to stare at her. They'd rather talk to her about the case. I guess what I'm getting at is there's perks to having both. And from our position, or more accurately, positions, I genuinely believe we can help make a difference in this case. We're going to take a step back and move slowly. Start with those who knew Brittany best and branch out from there. We've already spoken with her family, the Dodsons, and now we head to the town of Aberdeen to speak with someone who was very close to Brittany, especially in her final years and also on her final day. We pull off a narrow, winding road and carefully squeeze into a small gravel driveway next to a silver minivan with a familiar-looking decal of a winged heart on the back window. A short sidewalk leads us up to the front porch of the two-story house where we knock on an ornately carved front door. Seconds later, we hear a voice coming from around the side of the house. It's Brittany's friend, Samantha Rutherford. Wearing a pair of cropped jeans and a black t-shirt, she nervously tucks her dark shoulder-length hair behind her ears as she welcomes us inside and guides us to her living room. As we take our spots on the sofa, Samantha begins to talk with her hands, and a tattoo on her wrist is revealed. It matches that decal on her van, a winged heart, and there's a banner just below with Brittany's name. She starts telling us about her career in law enforcement, how she got into it pretty late in life, and how Brittany played a factor in that. When Brittany was murdered, I couldn't wrap my mind around it. I was just like, you know, she's just this fun, loving, joyful person whose life was taken too soon. I didn't understand as an outsider, like, why weren't they figuring this out? Why, why haven't you guys solved this? You know, what, what's going on? I wanted to be able to help people you know, who are in bad situations and be a light to somebody. Samantha was a police chief in Russellville, Ohio, for a spell. Now, she's an officer in the neighboring town of Sardinia. But before Samantha found her career, she was just a girl working at Walmart. She went to high school with Brittany, but they hardly knew each other. That quickly changed when the two of them started working together. We both applied at Walmart. We got hired in together and we started talking and we started having our lunches together. And we just got super, super close. And she told me later on, she was like, you know, in high school, I thought you were a B word. And I was like, really? She was like, yeah. And I was like, oh, man, that sucks. Samantha never got hung up on the why. High school was in the past now. She was just happy that Brittany gave her another chance. Because this time, they hit it off instantly. Her laugh was just infectious. And when she laughed, it was like a laugh from her stomach, from her heart. When she smiled, she smiled with her eyes. Her personality was just... She was who she said she was, and she was proud of who she was. Brittany was very protective of her people that she loved. And if you were in the wrong, she would tell you you were in the wrong. And she stood up for people when nobody else would. Brittany stood up not just for others, 
but for herself too. Samantha had seen it firsthand. She tells us a story involving Brittany's boyfriend at the time, who also worked with them. Her boyfriend at the time had cheated on her or something. He come in one day and she wasn't there. He worked in the tire and loop part and she wasn't there. She was off that day. And I said, Dusty, I said, what happened to your eye? He said, Brittany blacked it. He's like, I swear to you, she did. So I called Brittany and I said, did you black Dusty's eye? She said, yes, I did. She said, and if he's going to talk shit, she said, I'll be up there. She said, I'll black the other eye. I was like, oh my gosh. <laughs> and she said, I guess he had To no surprise, the young couple went their separate ways. It's our understanding that he was pretty upset about the breakup. But Brittany had made up her mind. She was ready to move on. And quickly, she did. His name was Shane Stikes. He and Brittany met at the local subway, where she worked before moving to Walmart. Shane would often stop in and eat, and he and Brittany would chat. It was all casual. Brittany was dating her former boyfriend at the time. But later, she took that job at Walmart, and then the breakup happened. It wasn't long before Shane asked her out, and the two started dating. Shane was just, uh, I don't know. Like, he was a biker. He was funny. That's it. My first impressions. Samantha is oddly reserved when it comes to Shane, but we chose not to pry and instead switched the subject. Because around the same time, shortly after Shane entered the picture, there was another big change in Brittany's life. Samantha says it all started one day at work. Brittany walked in, and I was at the podium giving somebody a break, and it was like she was glowing. Brittany was this, she was so pasty white. I mean, I felt like she glowed in the dark. But she come walking in, and she was literally glowing. And I was like, come here for a second. I said, uh, you're pregnant. She was like, no, I'm not. And I said, Brittany, I'm telling you, you're pregnant. She just, you know, no, I'm not. No, I'm not. Don't say that. And I said, take a pregnancy test. She's like, only if you take one with me. And I was like, okay. So we go to the bathroom after work and we do the pregnancy test. And I hear Brittany, oh no, no, like crying. And I'm over there laughing. I'm like, I told you, I told you, I told you. And that's how we found out she was pregnant with Aubrey. And wouldn't you know it, Brittany was a natural. She made it look so easy. Oh my goodness. Brittany was tough as nails. When she gave birth to Aubrey, she had no medicine at all. She was bound and determined to have a natural birth. And when she had... Aubrey, she was just like over the hills for her. I mean, she just, she was so kind and nurturing to her. And, you know, watching Aubrey get bigger with Brittany, it was awesome because Aubrey was Brittany's best friend. She loved that little girl to pieces. Loved her. She would do anything for her. 
As we continued our conversation about Aubrey, eventually, Samantha explained why she didn't have a lot to say about Shane earlier. She says her opinion of him changed over time. It started around the time of Aubrey's first birthday. By this time, Brittany and Shane were married. We were actually at Aubrey's first birthday party, and Brittany went all out. Like, Brittany and Mary are so creative with everything. They can turn nothing into something. And Brittany decided that she wanted to do, it was like a carnival petting zoo type birthday for Aubrey's first birthday. Like it had to be big. And um, she asked me to come down and help her. And I was like, absolutely. So I came down and Brittany was painting something on this piece of plywood. You stick your face through. It was like an animal or something like that. But anyhow, I told Brittany, I said, you're pregnant. And she was like, shut the hell up I am not pregnant and I said Brittany I said I told you the first time you're pregnant I'm telling you you're pregnant now she calls me a couple days later and she was like I'm pregnant and I'm like oh my gosh I told you that's amazing you know I'm so excited and she was like Shane's gonna be super upset and I said why is Shane gonna be upset she was like, because he told me he doesn't want any more kids. And I said, well, I mean, there's nothing you can do about it now. Aubrey's birthday was in June, but Samantha says news of baby number two was kept secret until sometime in August, right before the annual tobacco festival, which Brittany was always very involved in. This is when her opinion of Shane worsened. Two weeks before the tobacco festival, Brittany called me. And it was late at night and she was, (laughs) couldn't breathe, like crying. And I was like, Brittany, what's wrong? Like, (laughs) honey, you've got to stop crying. Tell me what's wrong. Like, do you need me? Do Do I need to come get you? And she is like, Shane left. I told him that I was pregnant and he said that he didn't want any more kids and was throwing stuff and, and cussing me out and and he took off and he left and she was like I don't know what I'm gonna do and I'm like it's gonna be okay like you're gonna be okay do you ever wish you could become a detective and help find the clues to the case how about all that in a mobile game that you can take anywhere In June's journey, each scene leads to a new, thrilling storyline. Uncover the mystery of June's sister's murder and find out about scandalous family secrets. The gameplay lets you find hidden clues as you investigate a murder mystery. Escape to a bygone age of mystery, danger, and romance. Let your imagination run wild when decorating your island estate and collect scraps of information to fill your photo album and learn more about each character. Whether you're craving a good mystery or looking for an escape, you can immerse yourself in the world of June Parker. June's Journey is a hidden object mystery game with a captivating detective story taking you back to the glamour of the 1920s with a diverse cast of characters. Each new scene takes you further through a thrilling murder mystery story that sets the main protagonist, June Parker, on a quest to solve the murder of her sister and uncover her family's many secrets. I travel so much while working that I personally love to play it while sitting around airports with all of that free time I have. Can you crack the case? 
Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. The Hargan women seem to have it all. From the outside looking in, we were blessed. My mom was amazing. But as detectives would soon learn, there was a lot going on inside the Hargan household. Ashley and I have been calling my mom and the house and Helen. No one's answering. 63-year-old Pamela Hargan gunned down in her own home. Her youngest daughter, Helen, lay dead upstairs. Patrol, when they arrived, assumed or thought that there might have been a murder-suicide. But for the detectives on the scene... There were things about the scene itself that were concerning to us on day one. Who would want to kill their mother and their little sister? There is no boogeyman here. It is exactly who we think it is. I'm Peter Vance Sat from 48 Hours. This is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings, wherever you get your podcasts. I was mad at Shane because at this time, Brittany, you know, she was 22 years old and I think he was like 36 or 37. Shane knew when he got with Brittany that she wanted kids. And he had already had two kids of his own. You know, Brittany wanted kids and she loved kids and she took very good care of Aubrey, not only Aubrey, but Gage and Bubba, his two kids. So... I wasn't happy with him because he was, you know, he was mad at her, being mean to her because she was pregnant. Samantha says there were times that Brittany expressed some frustration with Shane. You know, just normal couple stuff. But apart from that, she really didn't know much about the relationship. Brittany kept that to herself. But Brittany's parents, Mary and Dave, did have some insight into the relationship. And they too say that Brittany started opening up more when she learned she was pregnant with her second child. She sat out in the out there in my garage with me in the office and she cried and cried. And she said and I said, Honey, you're going to get find out what the baby is here within a week or two. <laughs> you're gonna have to tell him. Yeah. And she just said, Dad, you just don't know what he's gonna do to me when he finds out I'm pregnant. He says he wasn't happy about the first one. And I said, Well honey, I'll go tell him you know, it's not a big deal. Brittany came here and out of the blue she just looked over and she says don't let them raise her she says mom she says I want you guys you to raise Aubrey the way I was raised don't I don't want Shane and his mother raising my daughter why would Brittany say something like this was she concerned that something might happen to her that she wouldn't be able to raise her daughter or maybe she was just speaking generally emphasizing that she wants her parents to have a lot of say in how her kids are raised. After all, Mary says that Brittany and Aubrey were at their house every day, and they were constantly helping take care of Aubrey. There's no telling what she meant. And looking back, Mary and Dave aren't really sure what to make of it. Mary says at the time, she thought maybe Brittany was considering a divorce or something. She knew Brittany was upset because Shane would get up at 5 a.m., leave for work, and not come home until she was in bed asleep. And Brittany even alluded to this when she called Shane that day. She called him, and she had it on speakerphone, and she told him, she says, 
I know you don't want to spend time with me, but you ought to at least spend some time with your daughter. And, um, and he said, she can get her shit and the baby shit and get out and pay, I'll pay child support on another one. And I looked at her and she looked at me and I said, what are you going to do? She says, I'm going to go inform him. He'll be paying child support on two kids. As we know, per Samantha's account of this, breaking the news to Shane did not go well. He left the house, and Brittany, devastated by what had transpired, called her mom. She's calling me, crying, upset, hysterical, couldn't hardly breathe, wouldn't know what to do. And I said, Brittany, I said, you got two options. You either get that baby and you come home now. I said, or you lay there and see what the morning brings. She goes, Mama, I don't want to wake the baby. And I said, Brittany, it doesn't matter. I'll put her back to sleep, whatever. She goes, no, he's left. He's gone. I think I'm just going to lock the door and I'm going to stay. And I said, okay. Well, not. I didn't know this, but she called her friend and was on the phone with her all night, I guess. Hysterical. After Brittany got off the phone with Samantha, she went to sleep. And that was the end of that night. But Mary actually saw Brittany and Shane the next day. They showed up at the house sometime in the afternoon. And he walks straight through my kitchen into the den to the computer. And Brittany's standing there in the kitchen with me and she's whispering. And she says, she says, something's not right. And I said, well, you mean something's not right? She said, he stayed all night at his mom's. She said, last night, crap hit the fan. And then this morning he comes home from his mom's and it's like a light switch went off. And he's in a good mood, um, touched her stomach, said, what are we gonna name the baby? I said, Brittany, I said, something's not right. You be careful, something's not right. And that's how we left the day. Mary says that while she and Brittany were talking, Shane was in the other room looking at motorcycles on the computer. Dave approached him and encouraged him to get his priorities straight. They didn't have much money. The house they were living in was too small. And now, they had a second child on the way. The Dodsons felt the last thing he should be doing is shopping for motorcycles. This really bothered them, which I understand. But you can't really control what a person buys any more than you can control the relationship. And frankly, it's hard to get a read on Brittany and Shane's relationship at this point. After speaking with Brittany's friend Samantha and her parents, Dave and Mary, what we've gathered is sort of a mixed bag. Brittany was hesitant to tell Shane she was pregnant again, and by two different accounts, it seems she had every right to be, as the breaking of said news left Brittany in her home alone crying that night. But then Shane seemed to go from upset to excited, literally overnight. Could he have just needed some time to process things? Ultimately, I feel there's a lot more to learn here, and as it stands... We haven't yet heard from Shane, so let's hear his story. Did we pass that home? I didn't. Heading down a two-lane country road, we probably would have missed Shane's house had he not parked the infamous yellow Jeep Wrangler out front. We make a sharp turn into the driveway of his modest one-story home, just a few counties over from where Brittany and Aubrey were shot nine years ago, inside that very Jeep parked just beside us. Hey, how's it going? 
A screen door smacks to a close as Shane casually steps out onto his porch, wearing a t-shirt, cargo shorts, and a checkered pair of Vans. He's covered in tattoos. Yet what's most noticeable is a thick red beard underlining his shaven head. Y'all can have a seat wherever. I don't have a lot of room, but make yourself comfortable, bud. I can bring chairs in here. After a quick intro, he welcomes us into his living room where I see a busy wall displaying his adoration for motorcycles. A large Harley Davidson logo hanging over the black leather couch stands out amongst the other hog signage, as does a placard just above a hat rack, reading, this is us, our life, our story, our home. We get situated on the couch and Shane folds his hands together, resting them on the back of his head as he starts to tell us how he and Brittany met. Our story begins at uh, Subway, actually, in Ripley. She worked there, and I ate there for dinner every night because I was a single dude. I only had my kids on the weekend, so through the week I ate dinner at Subway. And she was in there all the time, so we always just had conversation. It wasn't like nothing like that, you know what I mean? It was just casual conversation. And she was, had a boyfriend, was engaged or whatnot. And uh, I didn't cross any lines, you know. Uh, but one day she called me and said that I guess he cheated on her. And, uh, and she was single. And I said, well, when can I take you out? Well, she kind of ran me around a couple of times, you know, nervous, I guess, perhaps. And we finally went out on a date. Went four-wheeling in the Jeep, drank some beer, and uh, she never left. That was it. Brittany and Shane were coming from very different places in life when their paths crossed. Shane was out living on his own. Brittany was still living at home with her parents. When they started dating, Brittany was about 20 years old, and Shane was about 15 years her elder, though the age difference didn't seem to bother them. Her personality, just super cool, you know, just, she's like my best friend. Then I fell in love with her. Once we went on that date, she just kind of stayed with me nonstop from that point. We were together for a little while, and then she informed me that she was pregnant with, <laughs> with Aubrey. And I already had two kids, you know, so I'm like, oh, my, no, <laughs> you know, gosh, how am I going to support this, you know? So I wanted Aubrey to be born in wedlock, you know, not out of wedlock. And so this one day I skipped work and called off and uh, woke her up and she said, what are you doing home? I said, I took the day off. And she said, what do you want to do? And I said, let's go to your mom's and get your birth certificate and let's go get married. And that's how that worked out. We were probably together, I'd say, a year before we got married. It was the best relationship I've ever had in my life. There wasn't arguing or nothing like that. So it was just easy going, and she was just easy to be around. I just couldn't turn away from it. She was a good balance for me. I've always been kind of a high-strung person, you know. She would... She was the chill to my chaos. I've been searching for it ever since. Hard to find. 
Shane may have lost Brittany, but he still has Aubrey, who happens to be just like her mom. He's obviously thankful for that. That's my prize right there, you know, out of all this is she's alive and well, doing good. And every day, I'm sorry, I'm going to cry when I say this. It's, it's just more and more like having her mom back. She acts just like her. Same sense of humor. So I'm blessed with that. Aubrey doesn't remember anything about her mom or the incident. She was too young when it happened. All she knows is what Shane and her grandparents, the Dodsons, have told her. But with so much information and disinformation throughout years of news coverage, Shane gets concerned about what she'll pick up on as she gets older. What I worry about with her is that, you know, there's going to be a day when she's sitting around and and gets on some Google and just sees some of the horrible, horrible crap that has been said about her dad. And then she's going to be, like, asking me questions. This is a legitimate fear of Shane's, not just paranoia getting the best of him. In Brown County, his image tarnished after Brittany's death. There's no way around that. And it's not shocking. Even Shane acknowledges the husband is who the police look at first. And that's exactly what happened in this case. From the moment he fell asleep on the night of August 28th, everything changed. And I woke up to my whole world upside down. Beating on the door, cops opened the door, they're on, you know, on point, looking around, and I, I didn't understand. They were asking me all these questions. And I'm like, what, you know, what, like, do you own this Jeep? And I'm like, yeah, where's that? I'm like, uh, my wife has it, you know? And and uh, and then he said, you, you might want to sit down, you know? You know, I mean, you know what you might want to sit down means. They found my Jeep on the side of the road and my uh, wife and child had been shot. And I said, oh, my God, is she alive? And he told me that she's not alive, but the baby is. It was all happening so fast for Shane. It was like a nightmare, or the stuff you see on TV, as he likens it. Cops at his door, questioning him. His wife is dead. His daughter's in the hospital. And he says it only got worse from there. They wouldn't even let me go to, to my daughter getting flown to Children's Hospital and I want to go there and they take me up there under the light and all that shit it was wrong it was absolutely wrong in my book I mean I understand they gotta do a job and whatever but so they take me in and then they the first thing they did was start swabbing me and all this and that. And uh, they started asking me questions, and I just finally said, you know, am I under arrest? And they said no, and I said, I'm leaving. And I went to go see my daughter. Shane stayed with Aubrey at the hospital through her recovery. But when it was all said and done, and they were released from the hospital, Things went right back to where they were before he left the station that night to tend to Aubrey. 
Shane realized that the investigation was very much focused on him. I was suspect number one. They were on me. They were, I mean, they were going through my freaking dumpsters. They were freaking had people taking pictures of me and shit. It was, it was weird. It was really weird. Crazy. I didn't ever have a bad reputation there. That's why I didn't understand why, how all of a sudden, you know, it's like, what? You know, like I don't have any kind of prior record, no, no crap like that, you know. You know how it is. I'm sure you've had people accuse you of something in life, you know. That pisses you off, just in general, correct? Now, magnify that by a thousand, and they're blaming you for killing your own family, you know what I mean? I mean, if that don't piss you off, you know what I'm saying? So, to deal with that, losing my wife, losing a baby, almost losing another baby. She lived in Children's Hospital for almost three months. It's been a tough situation for him to navigate, and tough is probably an understatement. But Shane is fully aware that he's not the only one who suffered a loss here. She took my kids in like they were her own. They loved her to death, you know. My son, it messed him all up. It's a ripple, you know what I mean? It just keeps going. His boys were pretty young when this happened, ages 6 and 13. He had to be strong for them, but in a much different way than he did for one-year-old Aubrey, who was undergoing multiple brain surgeries in the hospital for months. Asking how he got through it all? It's simple. His faith. My wife introduced me to religion and that's the greatest thing she ever gave me in my life you know my faith in God and my relationship with God I just prayed like you wouldn't believe pretty much four times a day I'd go down to the little mausoleum thing in children's hospital and just cry and beg please Lord Please, Lord, don't take her. And it worked out. So while I'm in the hospital, you know, I talked to our pastor who married us. And I told him, like, you know, I wanna I wanna get baptized, I wanna I wanna do this right. And uh, we did that. He baptized me, gave me my first Bible, and then turned his back on me. That's a story that doesn't need explaining. Shane lumps the betrayal in with how the rest of the town treated him before he eventually left and started over. But the point was his faith got him through those months in the hospital. And now Aubrey's here, and you wouldn't even know what she's been through. You can't even tell. I mean, you can see. You can see the bullet hole still. But she is straight A's. Uh, tests out super high, all her testing, and uh, she is her mom again for sure. Brittany's a smart girl, you know. So I'm I'm happy about that. I mean, she's a survivor, you know. One out of three made it, and uh, you know she lost her mom. I mean, and a sister. I'm told anyway. I was told it was a female. I gotta know, like, how did 
did you feel about this one? Oh man, I was like, well, it was it was less. It was less. I mean, don't get me wrong. I was not rainbows and sunshine, you know. I was like, what? What are you talking about? <laughs> are you serious right now? You're playing jokes, right? You know, it was it was. But I just told her, I was like, look, it's going to be all right. We'll just do what we got to do, you know. And obviously, it'll, it would have worked out because look at her parents, for crying out loud. You know, they're not exactly raking in the change, and they made it with freaking five kids. So it's a struggle, but somehow you'll make it through. And since that fatal night of August 28, 2013, Shane and his kids have done just that. They've gotten through it. If people want to point fingers at him, so be it. He knows the person responsible for this is still out there, and they need to pay for what they did. He wants answers. Who's the coward? It's not me. I can tell you that much. I'm not running from shit. When I'm given the okay to go ahead and confront what needs confronted, I'm right there. I'll deal with whatever has to come. That's fine. But someone's a coward and shot an innocent woman, a pregnant innocent woman, and an innocent baby. For what? What are we even dealing with here? What, why did this happen? Who's pissed at who? What caused what? Where did it start? Why is it going on? I mean, I just want to know why. But beside that, my daughter, the Dodsons, Everybody that she ever blessed in her life deserves to know why. That's obviously the million-dollar question here. But how do you find the answer? Well, to start, we're going to need to talk about the day Brittany was murdered. Because it wasn't a particularly normal day. And by that, I mean the entire day was pretty abnormal. It started early. There was an incident that occurred that morning. Brittany's friend Samantha told us about this. Brittany and I had spoke the morning of her death. She said that she was going to go to Shane's mom's house to fill out this application for this government job. Well, she texted me and she said somebody in a van ran her off the side of the road. I was like, what? And she was like, they ran me off of the road. Most people would probably see this for what it was, an incident of road rage. But Samantha has other thoughts. She wants to know, was that person trying to run Brittany off the road? Or were they trying to run that Jeep off the road? Shane never let Brittany drive that Jeep. Two weeks before she died, he had Brittany start driving that Jeep. And he took Brittany's car to work, her van. Why did you put her in that Jeep when you never let her drive it before? Was there a target on your back and you were scared? I don't know. I just, I have my own questions. This season on Culpable. At least five shots in about a two and a half foot area of car door, and this person hit what they aimed at. I really doubt this is just some passing incident of road rage. 
There's only one way to keep a secret, and that's if there's two people and one's dead. He came to his house as soon as that happened, said he just killed someone. We've looked at every possible avenue. Was she the intended victim? Was somebody jealous of her? Was it a random act? I mean, the the options will drive you crazy. Culpable is a production of Resonate Recordings and Tenderfoot TV in conjunction with Cadence 13, written and hosted by me, Dennis Cooper, and produced by Jessica Knoll. Executive producers are myself, Mark Minnery, Jacob Bozarth, Donald Albright, and Payne Lindsay. Our senior producer is John Street. Additional production by Todd McComas. Editing, mixing, mastering, and sound design by Dayton Cole, Pat Kicklighter, Adam Townsell, and Caleb Melcher of the Resonate Recordings team. If you have a podcast or are looking to start one, check us out at ResonateRecordings.com. Our theme song and original score is by Dirt Poor Robbins, with additional scoring by Dayton Cole. Our cover art is by Drew Bardana. You can follow us on social media at Culpable Podcasts. Show notes, as well as bonus content, can be found on our website, culpablepodcast.com. If you enjoyed this episode, please take time to subscribe, rate, and review. Your feedback is greatly appreciated. And lastly, if you have any information about the murder of Brittany Stikes, we urge you to contact the Brown County Sheriff's Office by visiting their website, browncountyohiosheriff.us, where you can anonymously submit your information. Or you can contact Sergeant Quinn Carlson directly at 937-378-4435, extension 126, or by email at quincarlson at bcoso.com. You can also submit your information through our website, culpablepodcast.com. Thank you for listening.